everyone, and I'm so happy to welcome you to this Zoom conversation episode where it's been so fantastic to chat with Jenny Littlepage. And Jenny is a friend who lives in Nashville, and she is a singer songwriter, an author, a garden designer, a beautiful artist, and she kindly shares lots of moments and experiences and insights and inspiration about so many different things including for her music and the books that she's written and in the process of writing, um, Angels in My Teacup and Lily Bell, The Wonder Dog. And we touch on lots of other subjects as well, such as monarch butterflies and cats, dogs, quails, insects, uh, garden dream walks, and also about being sensitive and an empath and developing discernment and nurturing our sensitivity from a young age. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, Apologies in places, the sound isn't so great with the Zoom connection, but it's always such a miracle, I think. It's amazing that we can have these connections at all over Zoom. So I hope you enjoy this. And as always, there will be details in the show notes of Jani's website, also her music and videos, and also her garden website, which is Jenny the Garden Whisperer, which is fantastic. So hope you enjoy and see you again. It's really wonderful to have Danny here today and it reminds me of when I was chatting with Danny last week. She mentioned the words from the Mad Hatter who was talking to Alice in her muchness and this whole multi-dimensional being of all that you love and that inspires you, Danny. It's just so lovely to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Rowena. I'm so happy to see you and to be here. Wonderful. So just firstly, Danny, I was listening to your beautiful song, Strange Angels, recently, and it was such a touching reminder for me of the blessings of love that we receive every day, and little miracles, really, at any moment, and how they come in really unusual or unexpected ways and forms, ways that we might not have realised at the time. Being open to these is the way to live in such gratitude. So thank you for that beautiful song. I was wondering, I'd love to know a little bit more about the inspiration for this song or any songs um, and the writing that you do, and also what inspires you to create all that you do. Oh, goodness. Um, That's a big question. (laughs) Yeah, it is a big question, but I can start with the Strange Angels. Um, In 2004, I was living in California, which is where I'm from, and I had gone down to Los Angeles for a performance. And the next day I was walking in um, Griffith Park, which is where the observatory is in Los Angeles with two girlfriends and their dogs. And we thought, we saw what we thought was a a bobcat, I mean, like a, a small, but well, it wasn't that small. It was very long, a bobcat in the distance, but it looked very old and patchy and, and it was moving slowly. And so I'm, I never have a good sense about, you know, uh, safety with animals. <laughs> so I went charging after, I mean, I went over there and he came to me and it was a cat. And it was a cat that turned out to be, once I took him to the vet, um, 20, around 20, 22 years old and uh, starving. He was very, very thin. But he rubbed against me and I picked him up and he just burst into purring. So I... He had no collar or anything, and it was right in the middle of Griffith Park, and he obviously had not eaten in a long time. So I took him to my former vet when I lived in Los Angeles, and they put him on IVs and gave him fluid, and and they said, come back in a week. And so I drove back to Monterey up north, which is about oh a seven-hour drive, and I was so moved by meeting this cat and realizing I'd taken on this animal into my life, you know, just on impulse and, and uh, didn't think it through, but just felt a connection to him. And on the drive, um, oh, I should say, 
in the morning before we went to Griffith Park, I opened the newspaper and there was an article about a man who was visiting his family from Mexico. And he didn't speak English, and he uh, had been walking along what they call the Wash, it, which is was the L.A., the Los Angeles River, that they then <laughs> cemented over, you know, took this, the curving river and turned into this straight line, like people do for some mm-hmm. reason. And it was after a big rain, and so there were some children that had put rafts into the, they climbed over the hurricane fence, and uh, that was blocking the river and uh, keeping you from the wash and they were going down the river and they were in distress the raft was breaking apart and they were falling into the water it was very deep and very rough and this man saw this happening and he ran to there were several kind of bridges that I guess wherever a road was going over the, the wash and he climbed down he jumped down into the what would have been a riverbank and jumped into the water and held these three boys by their jackets. Oh my gosh. And uh, he was, and tread water with them, but up against this bridge and he couldn't get them up out of the water. There was no way to get them up um, because they were underneath the bridge. And he was calling out and the children were screaming and, and someone called 911 and the rescuers came, the, um, the paramedics came and got the children and got him out of the water and, and an ambulance came. And one of the uh, gentlemen who was driving the ambulance was Hispanic and spoke uh, spoke Spanish and said, you're a hero, man. You know, you've saved these three kids. And he said, I- I'm not a hero. I can't swim. I'm not a hero. I can't Gosh. swim. <laughs> I mean, so so that had sort of sparked my imagination in the morning. Then we went for this walk, found this cat. Suddenly my life changed. I had a cat. And, oh. and here I was driving up to Monterey. And as I was leaving Los Angeles, I was entering the freeway. And there was the last light, stoplight, before I was entering the freeway. And there was a woman, very weather-beaten, and, and her clothing very... Um, you could tell she'd been sleeping outside and she had a piece of cardboard and it said, well, uh, I don't even know what it said. And I had nothing. I had no change, no money. Um, I didn't have an umbrella or a jacket or anything I could give her, a water even, a water bottle. So I, for a moment, I just thought, I can't look at her. I have nothing to give her. And I, and and then I rolled down the window and she came up and she put her hand inside the window and I put my hand on top of it. And she said, God is blessing you today. And, and I thought, this is an angel. It's actually an, an angel. And, and so I cried all, all seven hours and wrote the song in my mind with these three stories. And those are the three verses in the stories. And it wrote itself, complete music. And when I got home, I ran downstairs to my studio and I put it to music on the piano and it was written. That's how it was written. And so, um, I don't think I've ever told that whole story. I've said little bits about it, but, um, so within 24 hours were these three vignettes that happened Yes. Uh, and they were connected. And uh, so that's how that happened. <laughs> what an experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's huge. I hadn't realized I knew there was such depth to the song, but that's just thank you for sharing that. That's absolutely amazing. The boys were okay and the man was okay and the cat stayed with you. I named him Griffith after the. And he lived, uh, as it turned out, he had a cancer. But I, I intuited from him. He told me his story. Once I went down, and I, I flew down the next time. And then my girlfriend, who had been one of the girls with me in the observatory park, uh, drove me back up. So I just held him the whole way. And he was oh. just, he, he, was, he was like an, a Zen master in this cat body. And when I got um, home... 
a friend came over with his three Labradors. God knows why he brought them into my house. And they, they charged this cat and he just burst into purring and started rubbing against them. And they just didn't know what to do. They just sort of just sat down and didn't know what to do. Wow. So there's an old, you know, there's an old monk in there. Definitely. But he, he did have a, a cancer. But where it was, a doctor said that didn't appear that it was causing him any pain or anything. With me and my dog, Jack, in our little cottage, Carmel. And he was the most loving, I think probably the most loving creature I've ever just so happy he was so grateful to be alive and so uh, just inquisitive and loved my dog and so that was it that was that (laughs) in our previous conversations you've mentioned your gardening and you're a garden designer Jenny and as well as a, a singer-songwriter and an author, a writer, a painter, an artist, all things. What I love are some of the encounters that you have with the little creatures in your garden. You're praying mantis and, and um, Bernard, the little beetle. <laughs> How is Bernard? Well, I've, I've, I think I might have changed his name only because he. I think he sort of told me his name is actually... Brunhart, which is brown heart. You know? <laughs> yeah, but he is fine. And I thought he was the one remaining beetle, overwintering beetle in, yes. in the house, living in the condo, which is this beautiful sort of jade plant that mm-hmm. is underneath a lamp by the by the um, porch door. And um, that's where they had all taken up residence. They just hung out there. And one by one, they all sort of lived their lives. But he is still there, and then he'll fly around crazily, you know, and uh, <laughs> crash into things, and then then come back to his plant. And Paul found um, Brunhilde, the the female, because I am assuming uh, there is not enough information for me. I've just been, you know, looking online for information about this particular beetle, Heliomorpha halis. And there's only things written about him by people that want to kill him. So, <laughs> you know. As, as a, a, a pest or. Yes, as a yes, pest. Yeah. You know, that I know of yet. Though I know someone in the world loves him and is studying. Because I've, I've encountered a lot of scientists. Um, mm-hmm. Entomologists, yes. That are bugs yes, out. yeah. And, um, and uh, love what they st- who they study, you know. I've got a book. Uh, insect lives as told by themselves and I found it in a secondhand shop I will look him up it's so funny Jenny because um it's the most beautiful little book I'll find it I'll I have to send you a photo of it as well it's just a delight to read you know and it has beautiful plates throughout and it's got this wonderful dedication it was a a Sunday school prize for someone in about 1940 and what's so wonderful is that these insects speak in the first person and they tell the story of their lives and how they grow how and conditions they love to live in but they all have this very rp received pronunciation vocal <laughs> kind of tone when they're speaking is is they're very well to do insects all of them no matter which kind they are um which is nice but um, i will have a look to see if um bon- yes it's bon- Yes. See if, oh, yes. It suddenly reminded me of that beautiful book. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about that because <laughs> I had a book. See, I'm, I'm a, um, I was a chronic book lender. Yeah. <laughs> and so then I started buying two of every book that I could, yes. that I loved because I would completely yeah. give one away mm-hmm. to, to lend and then forget who I lent it to. Yeah. And they forgot that they bought it, bought it from me. But I had the most beautiful book that I haven't been able to find again yet. Mm-hmm. And it is about, it was, if I could only remember the title, but the, the, the theme was, it was about insects. And it was about how some are deified, and that wasn't the word they used, it was more scientific, mm-hmm. and some are demonized. And how, mm-hmm. how they're, they're, they all have a place. They all they all serve a purpose. Even mosquitoes and ticks and fleas, which are my three least, and cockroaches, which you know tend to be my least favorite. But 
I did just save a tick recently and make it down to the Yes. <laughs> I think I might have sent you a card. Oh, no, maybe I didn't. But it's a felting of a flea that I did, and it's inspired by the poem by John Donne. Mark <gasps> this flea, which is the most erotic, actually. It's a love poem, but it's about the flea and how it bites his lover and it bites him. And so their bloods are mingled inside living walls of jet, which are the body cloistered in these living walls of jet making it this kind of sacred thing and then she goes and kills the flea and he's like no you're killing our love and then so on but it's um it's all it's kind of a conceit but it's oh there's something I'm so much the same you know all for celebrating wood lice and fleas and I haven't haven't come across ticks yet I'm not sure whether I could do that <laughs> but they're astounding if you look at a tick under a microscope oh, what a good. bizarre creature yeah, yeah amazing yeah. they're not it's good that we can't <laughs> <laughs> we can see their cosmic significance sorry Jenny I um I did a needle punch sketch of a dung beetle because oh, the yeah. most amazing thing about dung beetles is that they they navigate their way from by stars by constellations. It's just astounding. Anyway, yes, yes. But I so we share that. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I saw that. I saw it, and the dung oh. beetle and the moon, right? The woodlouse and the moon. Oh, oh that's yes <laughs> but I also saw the dung beetle sorry to get your in- insects mixed up um, <laughs> no they won't mind yeah. uh, so Jenny um of course I have to mention whilst we're talking about books and, and animals and insects um it was you who introduced me to Robert the Quail yeah. and um this quail Robert the most beautiful thing the most oh loving and loved quail by Margaret Stanger and I've written a about this a little bit in my newsletters and things but, but I just want to say thank you so much I remember reading it on a wild blustery Saturday afternoon I just read the whole thing with Charlie my cat sitting next to me on the bed and it was just such a joyous afternoon reading about Robert the quail oh. in Cape Cod yeah absolutely gorgeous thank you you're welcome it's such a beautiful book yeah Jenny, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing at the moment, because I know you're writing the most gorgeous story, and it's about your dog, Lily Bell, (laughs) and it's a poem, and I'd love to hear more about it. Oh, well, well, that was, um, I I had been um, talking, one, one of my dear friends, I go to Scandinavia, well, I should. I used to say I go to Scandinavia every year, but now it's almost three years. I think this year will be three years. I have not been able to go, or two. One of it doesn't matter. <laughs> and one of my dearest friends there, we um, FaceTime a lot, and she's a songwriter and an artist and a, a ceramicist, a painter, a, a baker, a, you know, all sorts of things, and a human rights activist. Just a, such an interesting woman, Maria Bloom, and. I had Lily with me when I was talking to her and I started making this little song to Lily, a little thing. And she said, oh, that's it. You have to write this book about Lily Bell, the Wonder Dog. You have to do it in rhyme and you have to do the illustrations. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> oh, wonderful. That was about six months ago. And then last month, or in February, I guess, we are we in February? I don't even know where we are. Just about, still just yeah. about in February. So it, I guess it was this month, because so much has happened this month. One morning I got up intending to do something entirely different, which is actually just sort of my MO anyway. That's how I end up doing anything. I'm going to go clear out the drawers on the dresser and I end up writing a song, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I suddenly... I just felt something coming. I didn't even know what it was. So I ran into my studio here at them, and I have this glass top old table from the garden that I use it my, as my desk. It's all, the metal's all rusty and it's, I love it. I love it. It has that thick glass. And so I find it inspiring. And I started, I just put my pen <laughs> to the paper and out came this poem and and it was long and and detailed and, and it was true. All of it was true. It was all about my dog, Lily Bell, the wonder dog. And so as soon as it was finished, um, I was exhausted. <laughs> but then I did a few little sketches. 
And, uh, and then with most things, I don't know if you like this with your creative projects, but as soon as I'm filled with this, oh, this wonderful, this is like this shower of energy from yeah. above, you know, from either my heart, my soul and soul or the angels or who knows where <laughs> universe. And then as soon as it's in form, I say, is this really a song or is this really a poem or is this good at all? I mean, there's this little voice comes in and mm-hmm. goes, no, oh, you know, this, this came too easily. So I, I FaceTimed with Maria and I read it to her and she said, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh, I have to so, say I've read it. I, I, you really kindly showed it to me and I've read it and I love it. It's got a wonderful rhythm and oh, Lily Bell's character and oh, it's just beautiful. It's wonderful, Danny. Yeah, I can't <laughs> wait. Yeah. Well, I wanted to tell this story also because she's a rescue dog. She, 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 in fact, she almost wasn't, they wouldn't let me have her. I took a week for me to come and visit her every day mm-hmm. um, and because they didn't think she was adoptable because she was so afraid and she would bite and no. Uh, nip and and they called her greased lightning because she would squirm out of there. Um, yeah, exactly. And so, um, and as a result, she's she's kind of got quicksilver emotions. She's so loving and sweet, and will be cozy and sleeping. And suddenly, there's a sound outside, and she's just so. I've tried all methods of whatever kind of training I can do, but. Which is not much because I'm yeah. not really an authoritarian. No. <laughs> but she gets she gets along with your cats in the house yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got her a cat when I lived in Monterey. I got her a, her own kitty, Romeo Dioro, and they yes. are they're really close friends. And Romeo is, is much like your Charlie. Orange, uh, yeah. Orange, orange and striped and beautiful. And then when I moved back to Nashville, Paul, my sweetheart, has three kitties too. And so now we have five. Because <laughs> I've always joked about women with five cats, you know, which is very unfair, you know, but, and now I am one. <laughs> oh, that sounds perfect. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's going to be a little book. Um, and I, yeah. I have, mm-hmm. and I've been, Working on that. And then as I was working on that, uh, the other day, as I wrote to you, I had the same feeling. It's just suddenly this feeling um, came over me and I sat down and I, and these four little books came out, the the Tiny Kingdom Chronicles, which are a lot of, some of the characters that I sent you on your little card, some of those characters are are in here. And um, so that I've just got the sort of the uh, blueprint for the yes, and the, all the characters already and their names, and uh, so that's something that I'll give more attention to. But I'm feeling like I have to finish the book that I really was supposed to be working on, and uh, that one is a story and a half short. Mm-hmm. I have one last story that I need to write. And then this, uh, the one that is almost finished is like about two thirds or a, a third finished. And then the two thirds notes. And I just need to weave all those stories together. And that always happens somehow. Yeah, I can't wait to read that one, Jenny. And, and I know you've constructed each chapter as a pearl. So they're all pearls and it just sounds absolutely wonderful so I'm really looking forward to reading that one you've had such a creative year already such a beautiful creative expressive year yeah how amazing um and it's been just so wonderful as well getting to know you through the intuitive painting group and I met you in Lee Harris the the energy intuitive in one of his groups and just getting to know you a bit more in our painting group which is a wonderful community and I I absolutely love the the paintings that you do they're always full of such delightfulness and playfulness but they're beautiful really quick watercolors and really wonderful um and lots of plants and 
And I was wondering as well, because I don't know too much about your garden design, although you showed me um, the website. Your website is The Garden Whisperer. I'll put all of these links in the show notes below as well, obviously, for, for people to go and have a look. It's a wonderful website. And I noticed that you, you do the dream walks. If you could just mention a little bit about the, the dream walks. Well, I found that I always say if my client is not a friend to begin with. They always end up being a friend. Um, and so I, with a, sort of a combination of what knowledge I have, and my intuition and and preparation. <laughs> yeah. uh, Dreamwalk is a it's a two hour. Um, it's really three hour. I'll just I'll just say it here. I mean, it's a, I always say it's two hours, but it's always three because we have to have tea and look at garden books and get yeah. ideas. But it it came into being because so many people who said, "Oh, please come look at my yard," but I don't know what to do. Oh my God, it's it's like it's such a big mess and and. And it's so overwhelming and I have no ideas and, and, you know, and the, the truth is people do know, they, they, they really do know what they want. They know how they want to feel in their garden. You know, so for me, I found it a matter of asking questions and I kind of have a set of questions, but then I improv on them based on the person and we walk the property and I'll just say that it's a, a you know, a, a backyard or a garden, but sometimes it can just be a patio or a porch or a balcony or something. It doesn't matter what size or a windowsill. This I've done windowsills for people living in, in, you know, very small spaces. And, but let's say it's a backyard and I have my little clip, nerd alert clipboard <laughs> and <laughs> I ask questions and we talk and, but I'm mostly, I listen. I, I ask a question and then I listen. And sometimes people have, are really shy about saying, you know, they'll say their idea and they go, oh, I know that's a bad idea. And I, I said, no, no, that's a great idea. And by the end of the time that we have, we've talked, I have a real sense of whether they want to make a little arbor or a little, they'd like to have a writing desk out someplace or whether they want to turn their little yucky shed with all the spider webs into, into a potting shed and or you know what plants they love because people not they do know they might not know the name of them um mm -hmm. but they can describe them to me and I can pretty much get the, the picture of what they are and then so at the end of that time I have a very good idea and I take a lot of photos of the property and we talk about d dividing the let's say it's just a rectangle you know, it's a rectangle with some shrubs at the very back by the fence or something. And, and it's grass, sort of sad grass. <laughs> and depending on, on how much time, effort, and also money they wish to put into the project, it can be as simple as taking an area and putting beautiful pebbles and getting some pots and planting some colorful flowers or succulents or wherever the land, wherever they are, you know, the, the climate. Or it could be, you know, a pond or it could be paths and arches and it just depends. And also we can break things down into phases, you know, and I find out what's the most important, what do they most want immediately? How do they want to feel immediately? And then I work from there. And often there are things in their gardens that are beautiful and useful they're just either covered up or they're in the wrong spot you know and so that's the thing that I try to do too is which is why I rarely make very much money <laughs> but I, I do create the beauty with them and um, just because I want them to use what mm -hmm. they have and yes. and get them the the most the, the healthiest but the most inexpensive plants often people go and they'll buy a big five gallon plant instead of just getting a four inch plant I, I don't know what it equates to if it equates in, in the UK just a small plant which will become that size in a season oh, that's beautiful. It, it's like a fraction of it and it will yeah. be healthier because it's not root yeah. bound it's not yeah. four years old three years old and that's different with trees if you want a if you want a sort of a big tree you know you, you need to start with a bigger an older tree um, does that give you oh that's beautiful it's such a transformative 
process working together as well. And I love that you mentioned they often know what they want. They're perhaps not aware they know what they want already and they have what they need already in their garden. Perhaps it's in disguise or and that just reminds me so much of all the beautiful resources we always we already have, you know, within. And no, I think that's that's just such a wonderful loving thing to do and I can just imagine seeing things again with with kind of new eyes as well your, your own backyard and reimagining and, and just little steps and, and beginning to nurture and I oh it's just beautiful and I, I was wondering when you were talking Danny have you always loved gardening I remember you saying once you were climbing trees a lot when you were little and I suddenly had a vision of perhaps seven-year-old Jani and I wondered what she was like and whether whether you've changed much or whether you're that hasn't changed at all not at all um I climb trees where I can I am a little more limited than I was as a seven-year-old but um I have a very special relationship with a, a buckeye tree and I don't know if you it's it's a very beautiful, smooth barked tree that has fragrant conical white blossoms and great big, like um, five uh, great big leaves, beautiful big leaves. And every part of it is poisonous, however. <laughs> so there's that. But uh, it didn't stop my family. <laughs> but um, but I had a very special relationship with this one tree, and I and I lived in a a place growing up that was uh, a homestead for my family's, my, let's see, it would have been my parents, great grandfather and great, great aunts and uncles lived in this property. And, and so there were a lot of mature trees. And this one, the Buckeye tree was bought, the seed was brought from central U.S. and Ohio by my great-great-grandfather and planted and became this beautiful tree. And I, I wrote a song about it, and I've written poems, you know, with it in there. Oh, how beautiful. So at seven, at seven, I was very clear on a lot of things. <laughs> and it's sort of taken me all this time to sort of come full circle back to where Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> and that was in. You were born in California, and and you've mentioned that you marched in the butterfly parade, which is a an annual parade for the monarch butterflies. Yes, yes, inspired by the the monarchs, which which do land and um, rest in the little town I was born in, Pacific. Oh, Brooklyn. amazing! It's a whole park of these Monterey pine trees, beautiful pine trees. And it's their resting spot between Canada and Mexico. One of the, one of them, I assume. And the trees are just covered with all. I've seen it on television, you know, but they're huge as well, aren't they? They're they're really large butterflies, and oh my goodness. Something else that I really want to experience in this lifetime, Danny, and I'd love to come and visit. And if I could go with you to California, and I know you're in um, Tennessee, but I want to see the giant redwoods. I've always, ever since I was little, when I first found out about these huge, beautiful trees, and I remember reading... Um, John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie. And that's why my cat's called Charlie. Well, kind of, that's long, but he was traveling with a dog called Charlie. But, and he was amongst the redwoods. Uh, but I must have seen a photo or read about them when I was little. And it's a real longing of mine to, to go and stand amongst the redwoods. And I know that you've had the seven sisters of redwoods in your garden where you've lived in the past. Oh my goodness, those were amazing photos that you sent me. And I was hugely jealous <laughs> to look out of your kitchen window and see them. <laughs> and they were only 150, probably 150 years old. So they were babies, even though they were yeah. 40, 50 feet tall. So yeah, yeah. look at California. <laughs> oh, I'd love to. <laughs> oh, um, something else I was wondering for this podcast as well, which is very much about 
sensitives and intuitives and empaths and loving all things with poetry and literature and, and a very gentle way of living lightly in the world, but also feeling very, very deeply. And I was wondering, I, I know that you're a sensitive too, and, and all of the things that you do, is, it's just so clear. But I was wondering if, if you could chat a little bit about that and perhaps what this means for you and, and have these qualities of sensitivity always been a source of strength to you or I know for me there have been many challenges with it as well and it took me a very long time to actually see that as the strength that is um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about how you feel well you know of course when you're a child and you're, you're a sensitive and an empath I do consider myself it's just a way of being Mm-hmm. You know, just your way you experience the world. And within the world of people, I could, as now, I, although I tune out to some degree sometimes, I can feel what others are feeling. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems with that is that often people don't know what they're feeling. They, they know what they're thinking. And they they might, what they're thinking may be in opposition, actually, to what they're feeling. And so you can't really address I mean, you can behave as if you can you can give them the love based on the feeling, but you can't really address it if they're not aware of it. Yeah. it. It will make them angry or upset, you know, or or worried. Or but luckily, I had my father realized that I had some some gifts, I guess you would say, and he utilized the, the one which was that i could find things if you you know if you usually if metal or wood i was good at, at and sometimes it could be also ceramic i could find but mostly it was metal and wood because he was always misplacing tools and and um, keys and things like that and so he would go jenny you know here i'm four or five years old and i'm running around and i find it and and it really wasn't that i hid it in the first place i'll have you know so (laughs) you were like yeah a metal detector or a ceramic sensitive detector (laughs) and so i think that the downside was I didn't really, wasn't troubled by it as a child because I, I didn't have all the mental stuff that you accumulate yeah. over years, you know, in your attic. And But as I became a teenager and then as a young person, I had a difficult time knowing where someone else's feelings began or ended and mine began. I, I would be very moved by, I knew that I could go into a room and raise the level of the the vibration of the energy um, to more towards love. And, but it took a lot of energy sometimes. And, and sort of perversely, I was attracted to the most cantankerous person. I would just like, I, because they were usually the cause of this um, sort of disharmony in the room, in a, let's say it's a party or at a store or at an event or something, or, or a family gathering in this, as this case was. And, so there's a price to holding. I think, as I don't know if you experienced this as an empath, but you almost feel responsible that you need to, that you're required to do it. That it's a gift that's given, and you know that it works mostly. And so it took me all through my twenties and thirties of wearing myself out, and then realizing that there's another aspect to it, which is. Each soul is sovereign. If they want to be grumpy, they can be grumpy. If they want to be, it, it may be for their growth and their their journey, they need to be melancholy in that moment. They need to grieve. They need to be stuck in a wash cycle, you know. And, and so I started to develop some discernment. That was, in fact, that word kept popping up on Billboard. I mean, when do you see a discernment on Billboard? I mean, <laughs> seeing things in print and on, you know, uh, uh, that word was the, the word that the spirit was trying to talk to me and tell me, you know, this is something you need to learn. That and boundaries. And the boundaries were the same thing, realizing that someone is a sovereign being and that even, the, the, you know, I had a lot of difficulty and I still do trying to figure out when someone is, you see someone on the street who lives on the street and 
you want to help them and and at what point i mean i i i, I figure it's well i guess i kind of have to bridge over into something else which i was struggling with this when i lived in los angeles when i was in my just in my late 30s and this is sort of a part of this book angels in my teacup and i had been having trouble there were so many people homeless people in los angeles in a, in a, any metropolitan Mm-hmm. so many and then you know in rural areas or smaller towns you might not realize that someone's living in their car you might not they might show up at work and they you know look a little wrinkled but you don't realize they're living in their car whereas when people are on the street and they just that is where they're living or under bridges I, I was having a great deal of suffering about how much do you intercede how much are, are we responsible mm-hmm. to help others during this period of time i was because i often have troubled sleep uh, if if things in the world are bad i have a hard time being at peace with them mm-hmm. and i can handle it during the day but at night i think that's pretty common to to most humans um so i was leaving very early in the morning from my home in los angeles and going to this beautiful place called tree people park and it was at the top uh, it was in the m- middle of a metropolitan area, but it was the top of a hill that had been not developed. So it had beautiful eucalyptus trees and pine trees and oaks and little winding paths. And I went up there every morning. I got my tea, took my journal, went up there every morning for nine months. The last nine months I happened to be living in Los Angeles before moving, moving for the first time to Nashville. And I would ask i i had this feeling that i was supposed to do something that that with music (laughs) to heal the world oh yeah i know how that sounds and so (laughs) but it was this feeling that kept coming that i was supposed to do something and it had to do with helping people it had to do with healing it was just all like a just a mishmash of all these thoughts and feelings that i had been working with kind of percolating and so, and then I would write poems. So I wrote a whole nine months every five days, because it was on my way to work. Every five days a week, I would write a poem. And so I have this big collection of poems called Poems from Coldwater Canyon. And they were about nature and they were about God and spirit and universe and angels and that sort of thing. And I would also ask, what what do you want me to do? Am I supposed to do something? Am I just, is this just um, a delusion uh, that I'm actually supposed to do something? And, and this was in 1994 and I'd been doing this for nine months. And then I was going to work, but my boss was staying home because he wasn't feeling too well. And he wanted me to bring some things to him at the end of the day. And so I was driving to his house, which is it was down by the ocean, Santa Monica. And I went over this place called Mulholland Drive. It was sort of divided the valley from the sea. That's really sounds much more romantic than it is, really, because it's, you know, it's Los Angeles. And while I was on my way, I had an encounter with an angel in broad daylight <laughs> that stopped time. <laughs> and and he was giant <laughs> and so <laughs> I don't want to say too much about him but um and spoke to me and answered my question and so what what was communicated to me was it was this they said remain in harmony wherever possible create beauty wherever possible relieve suffering wherever possible this is all we ask of you. Oh, that's beautiful. And wherever possible was the key. Twenty-two, 
Transcendence A journey long and labyrinthine amidst the light and shadow, along the paths that we have come from all the lands we travel. Then away at farthest edge the glistening threads unravel. Arise the rim of golden sun as silver moons descending, to shimmer high above as one where once the path was ending. Thanks for that, Jenny. And um, I know that spirituality obviously infuses so much of your life and, and the work that you do. After, you know, chatting a little bit about sensitivity and also being a female, um, what piece of loving advice or comfort might you give to your younger self, to the younger Jenny now, or also perhaps to the younger generation of women today? And especially those who might be unsure of their joys and following their passions or uncovering what their passions might be um, and their talents or their voice, what might you say to them? You know, I think that the lesson that I am still learning, but I've, I've come quite a ways in it, is it is that about discernment. And But what I would say is, because every human has creativity in them and has different gifts and ways to express that. And so many have been kind of uh, discouraged in, as children or, you know, or young adults from following through on the inspiration that they might get. And I would say when you have an idea or when let's say you write a song or you you write a poem or you you build something or you or whatever it is you bake a cake or you have a plan for an organization or a, is whatever it would be um i would think be be discerning about who you share those early ideas with and that, you know, I see it, I saw it in myself and I see it in other young friends of mine who just want to tell the world immediately about these things and before it's fully formed. And while it's, it's like a little butterfly, you know, it, it hasn't, um, hasn't landed yet. And uh, because even well-meaning people or guardians or parents or peers you know, teachers, siblings, whatever, even if, even if the person you're telling it to loves you and wants you to do well, they'll have their own set of things that happened to them when they shared something or, or they, you know, or their unconscious as mm -hmm. things they haven't processed and, and may just squash that little spark and not mean to, they think they're giving you good advice, you know, and uh, cause I have, I, I mean, I have, I have very beautiful friends. And now as I've gotten older, I have only very beautiful friends, you know, only good souls around me. I, and I still love others, but I don't let them in, in too close to me. So that's what I would say is, is really think who you feel safe with, who, even if they don't like your idea, who will say, oh, that's interesting. And I think that, you know, you should keep pursuing that or, you know, without that energy underneath, it's like, yeah, keep pursuing it, keep your day job. <laughs> you don't want that kind of thing. You want someone who's going to be honest and loving and truly supportive. And for me, that's like finding a jewel when, when you have that kind of, uh, relationship so that's all I yeah, would say oh, that's beautiful nurturing and being I love that being discerning and it reminds me of a, a Zen saying that if you have a little seedling you would protect it for a little while from the cows in the field you'd create a little because it's you're not keeping the cows away but you're recognizing that this is just very gentle at the moment until it grows really firm and sturdy and then it becomes a wonderfully big tree that can provide shade for the cows as well you know it's, it's just beautiful that um it can be something that something that needs to to grow and it needs its space to grow amongst 
Yeah, all that will support it, you know, gentle winds. And it's good to have gentle winds, but you don't want huge storms as well at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. So, that's a lovely metaphor, really. Oh, that's wonderful, loving, comforting advice, Jenny. And I'm just trying to think, because there's so, so much that, that we've talked about in the past as well. And I think we're going to have to talk again with all of your other beautiful ideas and, and your songs. And oh, and I'd love it if you could read one of your poems or perhaps a, a piece of your writing. But but Jania, if, if you could do that and, and send to me, then I can phase it in to okay. the podcast. Okay. Um, that would be so <laughs> lovely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Jenny, for, for today. It's been absolutely wonderful to chat to you. And I look forward to, to seeing you soon and painting with you soon as well and to all the other wonderful things that you're creating. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Rowena.